Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Well, let's go ahead and get right into it tonight. Uh, I started this morning with a message entitled, Understanding the Gifts and the Call of God. Tonight, we're going to go on, uh, over Understanding the Gifts and the Call of God, Part 2. So we're just going to continue right where we left off. Um, we haven't really got to the gifts yet, but really, we're, we're more on the understanding the call of God. We're talking about the call of God. Hallelujah. And tonight, we're going to finish that, and it's going to be great. We're going to go through the gifts of the Spirit. Again, just a refresher in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul said, Brethren, I will that you not be ignorant concerning the spiritual gifts. There, there we go. It says, Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Say, Paul does not want me ignorant of the spiritual gifts. Amen. So we're going to just take some time and go in depth. What are the spiritual gifts? What are your spiritual gifts? How do I receive them? How do I operate in them? What are they used for? Uh, all of those things we're going to deal with during this teaching, not just tonight, but over the next several services. And so I want to give you a recap. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Just a few points for you to remember so that you can just come right in line with what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, starting in verse 4. It says, now, there are diversities of gifts. If you have your Bible, highlight that word gift if you haven't already. There's diversities of gifts, diversities, different types of gifts. It says, but the same Spirit, the NLT says, but the Spirit is the source of them all. So who's the source of the gifts? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, source of gifts. If you're taking notes, write that down. What is the gift? The Greek word used for gift literally means favor, it means ability, it means divine grace apart from merit. What is the source of the favor of God, the grace of God, the divine ability of God in your life, the Holy Ghost? See, you cannot operate in favor, you cannot operate in grace, and you cannot have supernatural ability if you have no relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen. He is the source of the gifts, and that is by definition, uh, the definition of gifts. And so, uh, number two, or 1 Corinthians 12, 5, verse 5, it says, Now there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. I want you to say Lord. Lord, when the Bible, New Testament specifically, uses the word Lord, it's talking and speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. And so administrations. I just love the King James because it's the only translation that I see that, that really draws this out. But, you know, the Greek word that's used there, it means office, place, call, different appointed jobs. So Jesus is in charge of your office, the office that you're called to. 
Uh, in the body of Christ, we're going to get to this in Ephesians 4.11. There's different offices. There's different gifts that Christ gave the church. There's pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Those are different offices. Jesus is the source or the appointer of those offices or the place that you're called to. What do I mean by place? Again, it's, it's not only locationally where you're called, but the platform that you're called to. Different people are called to different platforms. We talked about that this morning. There's a difference between Billy Graham and a, lo- and a local church pastor. Those are different things. Amen. Amen. Um, you could be a prophet over a city or over a state or over a nation or a generation. Those are different platforms. And Jesus is the, is the Lord or the source of the administration. The job. Say the job. Jesus is in charge of appointing you to the job that the Father has purposed for you. Amen. Number uh, three, or 1 Corinthians 12, 6, there's diversities of operations, but it is the same God. Say God, which worketh all in all. So the Bible is basically breaking down the Trinity. You have God the Father the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in charge or the source of the gifts. Jesus is in charge or the source of the administration. And the Father, God, is in charge of the word here, operations. What does that word operations mean? Again, it means things rot, rot, W-R-O-U-G-H-T, rot. It means to be beaten out or shaped by hammering to take an object and to form it into something specific. And that's exactly what the Father does for each person born on this earth. He looks at you, he takes a hammer, he chisels you out, he, he holds it up. No, that's not quite right. He brings it back down and he forms you for specific purposes, specific tasks and specific jobs. Amen. Um, another part of that definition, rot, it means employed in a specific occupation or Filled. I just love the word specific. I think Christians need to get more specific with their calling. I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of random stuff. They don't really know what they're called to do, so they just do a little bit of everything. God, the word rot, operations means specific occupation or field. Praise the Lord. It means machine or system. Uh, or it, it means this, a specific operation or function specifically in regards to a machine or a system. Somebody builds a machine. Have you ever seen pictures or assembly line in person? In assembly line, there's different parts that they do one thing. You know, this one part of the assembly line, it doesn't do 15 things. It doesn't do 15 parts. It does one specific function. That's what this is talking about, that God has that purpose for each and every person. Hallelujah. So God has something very specific for you. So the conclusion is this. The Father designs you, forms you, purposes you, whatever word you want to use there, for a specific place and function, like an object being formed by a blacksmith. Jesus then appoints you to your specific purpose, office, place, or job in unity with the creative purpose of the Father. 
So again, to just break that down, the Father had something very specific for you in mind in which you were created. Jesus' job is to come into your life and appoint you to that purpose. Reveal that purpose to you. Call you into that job. Call you into that task. Hallelujah. Okay? And so the Holy Ghost gives you gifts or special grace. Again, that definition is special grace or favor to effectively function in the office and carry out the call or job given to you by Jesus in which the Father specifically created and purposed you for. The Father forms you, creates you, has intent and purpose behind your life. Jesus comes and assigns you to that purpose, and then the Holy Ghost comes and gives you the gift, the anointing, the favor, the grace that you need in order to effectively carry out that call and that mandate that the Lord has placed on you. Praise God. Two points that we covered pretty thoroughly this morning. Number one, the Father chooses what you are, not you. Number two, The Lord not only decides what you are, but what level you will be what you are. Praise God. And my job is to not argue with God and wish that I was bigger and wish that we had more and wish that I was this and covet somebody else's platform and somebody else's job and assignment. My job is to be faithful. My job is to be willing and obedient. Hallelujah. And if I'm willing and obedient to do what God told me to do, If you're willing and obedient to do what God called you to do, the Bible says you'll eat the good of the land. Praise the Lord. Actually, you know, the devil's such a liar. He always wants to convince you what somebody else does and what somebody else has is better than what you have. But in actuality, you'd be more blessed sticking with what God has assigned to you than what God has assigned to that person. You know, you look at other people and you think, man, they're just blessed, they're prospering, they're killing it over there and what they're doing, and you begin to kind of covet what other people are doing, but your prosperity is tied to the assignment given to you. So if God were to swap it, all of a sudden the door opened up and now you're doing, well, I say God swapped it, say you swapped it. Somehow a door opened up and you begin to do the thing that the devil tries to convince you is better than what's been assigned to you. You would be less blessed than just doing what the Lord has assigned you to do. Isn't that crazy to think? You know, again, if, it, if you're thinking in terms of ministry and the Lord calls you to a specific city or a specific state, I'll prosper more sticking to my specific city than I would trying to go to an entire nation. I'll prosper more sticking to a specific state than trying to go to an entire generation. Think about that. Hallelujah. So tonight, let's get to this. I'm going to give you some more uh, points on understanding the call of God. And again, I've said it, but we're going to break it down more thoroughly. Number one tonight, Jesus appoints you. It's very important for you to understand this. Jesus is the one who appoints you into your office, your calling, and your job. Again, that comes from 1 Corinthians 12.5. There are different administrations, but the same Lord, the Lord, meaning Jesus. Administrations, meaning Office, place, call, or different appointed jobs. So I want you to understand this. You need to have a spiritual experience to receive 
your call, your job, your task, your purpose, and place. You need to have a spiritual experience when it comes to receiving your call, your task, your purpose, your job, and your place. Say spiritual experience. What I mean by that is, again, I just feel like people do random things. I feel like people don't think. They just take whatever's thrown at them. The first job that's offered to them, oh, well, okay, sure. If that's better money, then I'll take that job. The first house that, you know, that's offered, well, this house was a little bit cheaper and a little bit better, and we just really evaluate everything from a human perspective. But the reality is when it comes to what you do, it has to come from a place of having an ex- a spiritual encounter with the Lord. Amen, because Jesus is the one who appoints you. And I really don't want to water it down, but guys, in the Bible, they didn't have theoretical spiritual experiences. They had tangible, phys- I mean, really physical spiritual experiences with the Lord Jesus when they received their callings. You look at Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Turn your Bible there. Acts chapter 9, 3 through 6. Acts chapter 9, 3 through 6, reads this. It says, As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. You have to understand, this was after Jesus had already ascended into heaven. So really, Paul lived in the same dispensation that we live in. Paul Paul wasn't alive, or I should say Paul was alive. This didn't happen while Jesus was still on the earth in his human ministry. So really, the time of the earth, the dispensation and the the way in which God moved on the earth is the same today as it was then in this passage. Amen. And the reason I'm saying that is because you could look at examples like Peter. You could look at examples like, oh, yeah, Jesus called Peter. People could say, well, yeah, Jesus was physically here. That's why he physically called Peter. Well, Jesus physically called Paul, but he had already ascended to heaven. So what happened? Paul had a spiritual encounter experience where the Lord Jesus commissioned him into his administration. Hallelujah. So it says, a blinding light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. And the voice replied, I am Jesus. Say, Jesus. Well, he didn't say, I'm the Holy Ghost, did he? I am God, the Father. No, Jesus. Why was it Jesus the one, spe- why was Jesus the one speaking to him? Because Jesus is in charge of the administration. Jesus is in charge of hiring, of appointing. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked up uh, himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. 
I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he can see again. I'm just going to give you a little side nugget. Don't settle for less than this in your life. You see in the book of Acts that God, he speaks to people through visions. You know, Ananias is getting a vision of a man that he's never seen before. Think about Peter on the rooftop, that Peter saw in vision that was basically the Lord speaking to him through this vision to go and preach to the house of Cornelius. And then an angel came to Cornelius, and he had a vision which told him to call on this man Peter to come and bring him to preach to him. You just see the Holy Ghost operating in such a supernatural way, and today people are having far less spiritual experiences. But you don't have to. I'll tell you, most of you know if you're a member of this church, but Brother Timothy Dixon is coming next month. Well, how did that come about? Well, I've told you the story, but I was out praying one day, uh, and I saw a vision very clear in my mind of a man standing in this church. I saw his face, I saw his eyes, and he was just standing right in front of me, and that was it. And then it switched, and I actually saw a tornado with lightning and different things, and so uh, I had never seen the man before. Never seen him. I took out my notepad right then and there, and I tried my best to draw the specific characteristics. Again, I'm no artist. It looks like a little cartoon figure. I showed Miss Kim right after it happened, but I just saw the eyes and, and you know, very distinct characteristics that I, I drew. Um, and then one day I was listening to something, and this, this minister was introduced and they said, oh, they brought Brother Timothy Dixon up to the stage. And I pulled out my phone and I looked. And when I looked at my phone, my jaw about hit the ground. Because the man that I saw standing on the stage was the man that I saw in a vision standing in this room. And I said, whoa, what in the world? So I sent this message to his ministry. And I said, look, I don't know what this means. You know, you're a prophet of the Lord. I'm going to put this out there. And, and you just, if, you, if the Lord shows you anything, I just feel led like I need to share it with you. Well, I get a call about a week later from their ministry saying, uh, Brother John, you know, Brother Dixon gets several invitations from all over the country, but he felt a witness in his spirit that he needs to come to Huntington and he wants to come on Easter weekend to be with you guys. And so you guys may think, was that weird? Is that strange? No, it's not because God spoke that way to people in the book of Acts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, in verse 12, it says, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he could see again. But the Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard many people talking about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. Wow. Say chosen instrument. Who chose Saul? Jesus did. The God purposed Saul. Saul's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So I want you to really see that. This choosing. Paul didn't choose to be the apostle over the Gentiles. God chose him. Apart from his merit, apart from his good works. In fact, Paul was killing Christians. 
You would talk about good works, whatever good works would be, he was doing the opposite of good works. He was killing Christians, dragging them out of their houses and throwing them into prison. But yet, he became the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. Why? Because he was God's chosen instrument to do it. It's not our job. <laughs> it's not our job to figure it out and, and our job to argue with the Lord. The Lord chooses people for specific tasks. What is our job to do? Recognize who God chooses to do things and receive from it. Hallelujah. Instead of competing and fighting and bickering about things, recognize who God has chosen to do something and, and come behind and champion it and receive from it. I'm not going to read it right now, but you read in the book of Acts, when Paul was finally introduced to the other apostles, it says that they recognized the call of God on Paul. They recognized his gift, and they, they stood behind him and encouraged him to continue in the ministry. Man, I think that that's amazing, that Peter and the other apostles, they didn't get, you know, little man syndrome comparing and who do you think that you are you're not one of us this you know you're you weren't one of the original 12 you never walked with us you never saw Jesus walk on water who do you think you are no they recognized God's chosen instrument and then they encouraged him to continue to do what he was doing and so you have Paul he has this spiritual experience he sees this blinding light which is just amazing because I'm going to share my story with you just shortly in just a second. He has the, hears this, sees this blinding light, and he hears this voice, and Jesus speaks to him. In Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah the prophet was caught up into the third heaven. You can read that yourself and mark it down, Isaiah 6, 8. He was caught up to the third heaven, and he sees this vision where, where all these things are taking place. He sees the throne. He sees seraphim. He sees angels, and he has this encounter where an angel picks up a coal and touches his mouth with it, and then he hears the voice of the Lord say, Who will go? Who will be a prophet to the nations? And he says, here I am, Lord, send me. And the Lord replied and said, yes, go, and this is what you must say. Isaiah had a spiritual experience. Amen. Moses, did he have a spiritual experience? Yes, he did. In Exodus chapter 3, he encountered a burning bush where the Lord called him and commanded him to go back into Egypt, for he was the chosen instrument to deliver the Israelites. You know, I was called, I went to Bible school, but I was not called while I was in Bible school. Going to Bible college did not make me a minister of the gospel. In fact, I wasn't even called and appointed and received my administration while I was in Bible school. It wasn't until after I had got out of Bible school that I had a spiritual experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get all the details, but the same thing happened. I was, I was asked to preach at this event. I was young, and, and at that point, I was just hungry, wanted to serve the Lord, and an opportunity opened up for me to preach. I got up, was going to preach to this room full of people, and the first worship song started, and all of a sudden, it was like I was taken outside of my body, and I saw Jesus from about 20 yards away, and it was so blinding, I couldn't see his face, I couldn't see characteristics, but I just saw this blinding light, and I identified immediately in my spirit, I knew it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he began to walk towards me closer and closer. And as he did, I literally could not even stand. I fell to the ground. It felt like everything in me was being ripped out. 
I literally remember speaking to God saying, Lord, I'm going to die. I'm going to die because I felt like literally like I was going to die. I felt like my, my flesh was being ripped in half. Everything in me that was not of his nature, it was just completely being exposed in this holiness. And so he walks up. And he's just walking towards me, and it's just, I mean, it, literally, I feel like, I'm, like I said, I'm like I'm being ripped apart. Until finally he stops. I can't even pick my head up to even think about trying to look at his face. Um, And he bends down and he touches my shoulder. And when he touched my shoulder, everything lifted and I could stand. You know, but still I couldn't look. It was the thing. The whole time my, my head was down, I could not look at his face. But he was like right there. But I couldn't look at his face. And then I heard a voice literally say, who will go and carry this message to this generation? And I responded at this point in my life, I had never even read the book of Isaiah, never read it before. I heard this voice say, who will go and carry this message to this generation? I responded and I said, here I am, Lord, I'll go, send me. And that he reached out and he touched my mouth. That was the day that I received my administration from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, your calling, you have to have a spiritual experience. Ephesians 4.11, it says, now these are the gifts Christ, say Christ, gave to the church. Christ gives these. Christ appoints these people to the church. It says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You need to have a spiritual experience to do anything. Whatever it is that you're called to do, but let me also say this. If you're going to be in the ministry, you dang sure better have a spiritual experience before you try to go into the ministry. You cannot pick and choose. Well, I think that I'm going to be a pastor. You know, I'm I'm about 40 or 50 years old, and I've studied the Bible a lot, and I want to start a little home group in my house, and I think that I'm going to start a church. You don't get to decide stuff like that. Jesus Christ appoints his chosen vessels and anoints those that he appoints. It doesn't make them better. It doesn't make them greater. As we read this morning, there must be harmony amongst God's people because not one gift is greater than the other and not one platform is greater than the other. If anybody is considered great by the world, when it comes to the things of God, it's not by their own effort, by their own talent, by their own skill. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost to simply do what they've been assigned to do. We need to recognize that and show honor to everybody. Hallelujah. You know, you look at people, they have that attitude. You say, well, I'm just, a, uh, I'm just an older person and maybe I feel called to intercession. And then people get this mindset Well, if you were more spiritual, you could do what I'm doing. If you were more spiritual, God would call you into higher things. That's such horse poop. It's not true. That's why Paul said, don't think of yourself better than you really are. So again, you don't just decide to be a minister. Jesus has to hire you. I think that that's a point worth us spending this time on because we live in a day and age where everybody's a minister. You guys know what I'm talking about? Everybody you meet's an evangelist. Everybody you meet's a prophet of the Lord. I've had people come into my church before and tell me, oh, I'm an apostle of God. God's called me as a hybrid apostle prophet, and I'm supposed to come be an apostle in this house. And I'm like, 
What are people smoking? <laughs> Dr. Rodney says, you're smoking bad weed, man. Like, what's going on? Everybody's a pastor. Everybody's a minister. Everybody's an evangelist. No, you're not. Not everybody is. And those that are aren't greater than anybody else. Amen. Come on, y'all. I think that that's so important. In fact, you need to recognize that because one of the deceptions, it says in the last days, many false prophets will arise. False prophets, people that claim to be prophets but aren't prophets of God. What does that mean? They've claimed the title. They've claimed the ministry. They try to go out and give words, but they were never hired by Jesus Christ to do it. And you have to recognize that because it says that they'll deceive many people, even God's elect. False teachers, that's a ministry gift. And so Jesus has to appoint, specifically, Christ gives these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, the teacher. Anybody that calls themselves a minister, I want to ask the first question is this. Tell me about your spiritual experience where the Lord Jesus Christ called you into the ministry. I can't do that. I don't know. I just was kind of hanging around this place one time long enough, and they gave me a microphone. Let me tell you that you, you need. I'm not saying you're not called and purposed by God, but you better not step into that until you have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I've made this rule for me personally. I'll never tell a person that they're called to the ministry. I'll only confirm it. There's been people that I've known before they've ever said, I meet this person and the Holy Ghost will tell me, this person's called to the ministry. This person has been purposed by God to the fivefold ministry in the church. Not just this church, the body of Christ. But the Lord's told me, do not say anything to them about it. Why? Because I don't want them to receive the call from you. They have to receive it from Jesus before they hear it from you. Do you think I'm called to the ministry? I don't know. But why don't you come and tell me an encounter that you have with the Lord Jesus? No, I had this encounter with Jesus. This is what happened. This is what the Lord showed me. This is what he said. And then I could confirm, yep, you know what? I've known that in my spirit. And I was just waiting for you to say something. Amen. Amen. So... I said this earlier, but it's worth re-saying again. The Holy Ghost only anoints you to do what you have been appointed to. So if you try to do something without being appointed, then you will do it with no favor and no grace. Amen. Write this down. This isn't a separate point, but this is under this, this first point here. Jesus calls you. Everyone is called by God, but not everyone receives appointment by Jesus. I'm going to break that down. I'll say it again. Everyone is called by God. Everyone. The heathen are called by God. Every single human being that's on this earth that's alive today and that's ever been alive was purposed by God specifically for this, for their time on the earth. Everyone's called by God, but not everyone receives appointment by Jesus. Well, why could they, how could they be called by God but not be appointed by Jesus Christ? Well, because, number one, one reason is they never gave their life to him. You cannot operate in your higher calling apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So many people, I mean, I'm telling you, they're just trying to read every book that they can read and watch everything they can watch, watch every Dr. Phil show and Oprah Winfrey show and listen to every leadership podcast, trying to figure out what am I called to do. Apart from Jesus Christ, you can never step into your higher calling. He is the source of the administration. Every human being was created and purposed, and God has a perfect will for each person. But apart from Christ, you can never walk in that perfect will. I want you to say, I want, I want you to hear this as well. Just because something is God's will doesn't mean it will happen automatically. Something a lot of Christians and people need to learn in general. Just because something is most definitely God's will does not mean that it'll happen automatically. And I'll say this in regards to your life. Just because you're called and purposed by God does not mean that that calling will be fulfilled automatically. I'll just do whatever and it'll happen. No, that's, that's incorrect. I'll give you some examples of people not walking in what is God's will. God has a perfect will for you and you can choose to not walk in it. Here's one example, 2 Peter 3.9. In the New King James, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Listen, not willing. That's a fancy King James way of saying it's not God's will. He's not willing. It's not in his will that any person should perish, but all should come to repentance. Let me ask you this question. Will everybody repent and be saved at the end of the day? No, they won't. The Bible tells us. Jesus said, many will stand before me that day and say, Lord, we cast out devils. We prophesy. We did all these things in your name. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Many people will end up in hell. But does the Bible say it was God's will for them to go to hell? No. It's his will that none perish. So what does that show you? That people can walk outside of God's will. You can be purposed by God. You can be created for the most amazing thing that could blow your mind on this earth, but you have a choice to live your life, and you can live outside of God's perfect will for you. Everyone was created with a purpose and was forged, but only a few get revelation of that purpose and are appointed into that purpose by Jesus. You know, I want to say this as well concerning the will of God. God will not stop you from doing what you want. So this is underneath this part of, of just because it's God's will doesn't mean it will happen automatically. You need to understand God will never stop you from doing what you want. And you need to learn that there's a difference between God's will and your will. <laughs> I wish every person would learn this. There is a difference between God's will and your will. And, and the fact of the matter is, and the reason I'm saying that is because I hear the most bogus excuses. Well, if it was God's will for me to be with someone else, right, there's like two people in a dating relationship that is totally not of the Lord. Well, if God wanted me to be with someone else, I would be with someone else. Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you know? No, that's not true. That's a false. God could very well want you to be with someone else unless you're married. If you're married, you're married, period. Praise God. 
But I'm saying, you know, we've done different ministries where we've helped people come off the streets, come off of drugs, different things, and you hear the most bogus, craziest things. Well, if, if, if God wanted me to have a different job, then I would have a different job. Incorrect. Not true. God can will things for you, and it's your choice. You can walk outside of that perfect will. There's a difference between God's will and your will. I'll give you some examples. 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. This is when it came to the first king ever appointed to Israel, Saul. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Samuel was the prophet. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Look what God said. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, it says, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So was it God's will for them to have a king? No. He said they're rejecting me. They're rejecting my will. They're rejecting my plan, but ultimately give them what they ask. So what does this show us? You can force things into your life that are outside of God's will. And never take that position that your flesh wants something. And again, understand, the Bible says there's two forces constantly waging war, your flesh and your spirit. Your flesh never wants to do what the Spirit wants. Your flesh only wants to do things that are disobedient to God. And your spirit never wants to do the things the flesh wants. Your spirit always wants to obey God, and those two forces are constantly waging war. Well, I know people, they will some. They want something so bad. They want this relationship. They want this job. You know, an opportunity comes with more money. Before even asking the Lord about it, they just begin to say things like, well, I just really feel in my spirit like I should do this, I should do that. There's a difference between your will and God's will. Well, if it was God's will, would I ever have the opportunity? I mean, guys, come on. Just because you get an opportunity doesn't mean it's the will of God. Praise the Lord. Let's keep going. If you demand a certain way, God will let you have it. (laughs) Number two, write this down tonight. The Holy Ghost gives you favor, grace, and ability to do what you have been appointed to do. The Holy Ghost gives you favor, grace, and ability to do what you have been appointed to do. Again, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Put that scripture up. 1 Corinthians, oh, you guys need a second? Yeah? Too late, I'm sorry. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, or the NLT says, the Spirit is the source of them all. Again, the gift, say gift, it means favor, grace, supernatural ability apart from merit. I want you to say favor. Look at Romans 8.28. I want you to to see this. Romans 8.28. It says... We know that God causes everything 
to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. One more time. We know that God causes everything, say everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That's exactly what favor is. That's a part of the gift. That when God's assigned you, when God's purposed you, when God's created you for a specific function and a specific task, and Jesus appoints you, that the, the favor of God comes in your life to cause all things to work together for the good according to that purpose that God has assigned to you. I want to simplify it. What, is that, what does that really mean? Doors open to you. Say doors. Open up to me. Opportunity opens up to you apart from your own ability. <laughs> Hallelujah. When you step into your purpose, God causes all things to work together in order for that purpose to be fulfilled. You know, you think about, I, I mentioned Joseph earlier. Joseph had a dream where the 11 stars, which represented the other tribes of Israel, were bowing down and worshiping him in this dream. Well, his father loved him more than he loved the other sons. I don't know why, but I guess he did. He gave him a coat of many colors. Say favor. favor. Why did his father love him more than his other brothers? Well, the favor of God. He was purposed by God. Right. Amen. Amen. It's true. I mean, honestly, it's true. The favor of God will bring you divine relationships and connections. I'll give you a story about this. When we were at the, the river, anybody ever heard of Dr. Rodney Howard Brown? Powerful man of God. He's a, one of the only generals still alive today from the past. Living, breathing general of the faith. When we were at the river this last fall, I'm sorry, yeah, this last fall, um, you, know, you go to these places sometimes and you see people, you see people that, and I want to tell you, don't ever be that person. You can tell when somebody just wants something. You know? It's like after service, and I'm never saying don't come up and shake my hand, but I'm talking about being in these circles. And really, if you've never been, then you just don't know what I'm talking about. But if you, if you have, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but it seemed like there was so many people. It's like everything they did from where they sat, it's like, okay, worship time. I'm going to go sit right here so that Dr. Rodney will notice me. You know, they have this type of, like, thinking. Dr. Rodney has this ministry of joy where people just, I mean, the Holy Ghost just moves and people are just filled with joy. They're laughing during the service. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, but, you know, we have people, they'll be quiet. They'll just be sitting there looking like they're constipated. And then the second Dr. Rodney walks on this side, <laughs> You know, they bust out into laughing, and it's just like you just start kind of, that just seems disingenuous a little bit. Like you're trying to be seen. You're trying to be heard. You see these people that are trying so hard to get ahead, to get noticed, to get seen. I remember me and my wife, we were at this book table, and we were buying this book, and we were just sitting there talking, and we turn around, and here comes Dr. Rodney. Again, there's thousands and thousands of people here. Here comes Dr. Rodney. He's walking, and he just stops like this. And he pivots and he stares at us. <laughs> we're sitting at this table. And we, were, we look at him and we think, oh, is that Dr. Rodney? Oh, okay. So we're kind of sitting here talking. We turn around and he's just staring at us like this. 
And then we like we look at each other, kind of like the is he looking at me? Like what, you know, you're kind of who are you looking at? And then he finally goes like this, and he waves at us. <laughs> so we wave back at him, and we think, okay, you know. And he just stands there and he stares. And we think, maybe we need to walk over. We walk over. He starts talking to us. And, and he says, what's your name? We tell him our name. He said, oh, I've heard about you. You had Evangelist Jonathan out on that crane during the lockdown. You know, something that we did during the COVID lockdowns, we never shut down. We never stopped holding services. In fact, during the first 15 days to slow the spread, we decided to have revival. And let me tell you, no one died in our church of COVID-19. Not one person. Not one person that ever came to any of the meetings died. I think we had like two people that lost their taste for like three days, and then they were perfectly fine after that. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to have revival. We invited this evangelist out, and we, we told the city, we're not shutting down, we're not doing it. And so anyways, he had heard about that, and, and so he invited us to this lunch. And again, we show up. We're these little East Texas ministers. You know, there's people from all over the world at this place. Pastors, evangelists, they've flown in from Africa, flown in from the Middle East, flown in from all over the place. And, man, I'm telling you, some of them come walking up just looking like, uh, I don't even know. I mean, I, like, that suit probably cost more than our entire car did. So we come walking into this five-star dining banquet hall, and we're over there pushing our stroller like, you know, Carissa and John. Oh, this is great, you know, okay. So we sit down at this table, and we're in this room with like 100 tables. And we're like, oh, wow, this is, this is interesting. Um, wow, what a privilege, what an honor that we got invited to come to this lunch and it was an invitation only. You couldn't just go. You had to be personally invited. And so in a minute, I'm talking to this couple, and in a minute, Evangelist Jonathan comes and sits down at our table. And these were reserved seating. You couldn't just sit wherever they reserved. And then in a second, Dr. Rodney, I'm sorry, Dr. Rodney's daughter-in-law and son, and son come and sit down at the table, and we're thinking, what's going on here? Finally, Dr. Rodney and, and Pastor Adonica Howard-Brown come and sit down at the head of the table. We had been seated at his table. And so we, we eat lunch. We're just being our normal selves. And after lunch, he says, here, why don't you come up with, come up with us to uh, come up with me to my office? So we go up with him, and we spend like six hours just hanging out in Dr. Rodney's office, and he's telling us stories and I mean, it's just like, and when we come out, I'm telling you, I mean, really, I'm telling you, it, it just almost made me laugh because I know people in these circles that, like, they've spent their whole lives just trying to get a handshake. And, and it's like we just showed up every night that we were there because we had kids. We sat in the back row. We didn't want our kids interrupting. And then it's like the Lord just took us where other people had been trying to go for years and years and years. What is that? That's the favor of God. That's favor. Hallelujah. That's grace. That's a substance that comes on your life when, you've been a, when you're called and on assignment for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why, do, why would Brother Timothy Dixon want to come to this church out of the hundreds of churches, especially on Easter weekend? That's favor from God. Hallelujah. And so you kind of see that same thing with Joseph. He gets thrown into slavery. Uh, <laughs> he gets sold into slavery. 
And then all of a sudden now from slavery, he goes into Potiphar's house where his wife tries to come on to him, and he's a righteous man. He runs away. So then he gets thrown into prison, and then from prison he gets brought to Egypt. And the whole time it was like a stepping ladder that led him all the way to the point of being at the top. Uh, I mean, literally being the number two person other than Pharaoh over the entire nation of Egypt, which you have to understand at this time, Egypt was the dominating world power at that time. See, he was like the number two most powerful person on the entire planet. And you just see the whole time his life is this progression of these doors, of this favor, of these opportunities opening up for him. What is that? Don't you understand that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them? So there's two keys to walking in this type of favor. Number one, you have to love God. And I'm going to tell you, if you love God, the Bible says if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's the second command. But in the first, you will fulfill all of the law by doing that first command. What does that mean? The Bible actually teaches that if you love God, you won't sin. So how do I walk in the favor? How do I walk in these open doors? How do I walk with these opportunities that just seem to chase me down where you're not having to chase them down? It's favor. And where does it come from? Number one, you have to love God. You love God, you won't sin. Number two, it says those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them, not only called, but you're walking in the purpose of God. Hallelujah. Guys, there's nothing more dangerous than a person that's on assignment and knows it. Y'all getting this tonight? Is anybody, I hope I'm not boring you or putting you to sleep. I hope you're getting this. You know, the devil can't kill a person that knows they're on assignment. Jesus said, no man can take my life. I give it freely. You know, several times they tried to kill Jesus before the cross, before he went to the cross. They surrounded him. They tried to push him off the edge of a cliff, and what did he do? Walked right through it. Why? He was on assignment, and he knew that his assignment wasn't done, so he knew that they couldn't kill him. Apostle Paul, he had already received a word from the Lord that he had to go to Rome. From Jerusalem to Rome, he was on a prisoner ship and a storm hit where literally it says they were in real threat that they were, I mean, they were going to die. And guess what? Paul's sleeping. Paul's not worried at all. Why? He was on assignment from God. Think about this. In Acts chapter 19, Paul's on the island of Malta. says he was gathering sticks and a viper, a deadly viper sprung up and latched onto his hand. You know what's amazing about that story in Acts 19? Paul didn't even pray. (laughs) It says he shook the viper off into the fire. And everybody was standing there waiting for him to drop dead. And he didn't drop dead. He didn't even pray. He didn't drop down on his knees and say, Father, please help me right now. In Jesus' name, I rebuke this venom. He just shook it right off into the fire. Why did he do that? Because he knew my assignment's not done, so therefore it's impossible for this viper to kill me. This poison has no effect on me because I'm still on assignment from the Lord. There's nothing more dangerous than a person that's on assignment and knows they're on assignment. Praise God. 
You know, when I get in an airplane, I don't sit there and I'm sweating up and down. Why? I'm on assignment from God. It's impossible for this aircraft to hit the ground with me in it and for me to perish in this airplane because I'm on assignment from the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, when Paul died, after he wrote, I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. I've finished my assignment. Then he died. And no one could kill him before that. In fact, in the book of Acts, they stoned him and drug him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. And most theologians will actually agree that they killed Paul. They stoned him to death. You know what happened to Paul? Whether the believers prayed or whether it just happened supernaturally, I don't know. But he, he got resurrected up off of that ground, and he went right back into that city in which they had just stoned him to death. Why? He's on assignment. You can stone me, but you can't kill me. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can tread on serpents and scorpions. Nothing by any means shall harm you. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is this? This, The Holy Ghost gives you favor, grace, ability to do what you've been appointed to do. When Jesus gives you that commissioning, the Spirit of the Lord graces you, (laughs) gives you favor. I give you an example. Again, Jesus had appointed me into the ministry. Two months after graduating Bible college, I had a job within two months in in the full time. I was being paid full time to be in ministry. You know, again, that's that's not anything like, oh, because I'm awesome and I'm skilled. Nothing like that. It's 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 this favor of the Lord. Within two months, why is that significant? Because I know people that have been trying to be in ministry for 10, 15 years, and they still have never had that opportunity. You know, this was interesting, again, for, for me and my wife. Uh, when we got in that ministry in New Mexico, where, where I'm from, where we lived, after two years of being there, almost two years, we had worked in the church and then when we knew that we were moving, we transitioned into another ministry opportunity that opened up for us. And we moved out to East Texas with absolutely nothing. No connections, no church, no, nobody backing us or standing with us. The Lord opened this door for us to move onto this property, into this house, and we came in total faith. In fact, I didn't even have a job. I had been looking for a job, and, and she, she had a job, and I was searching and, and you know, trying to find a job. We just totally came in faith, and within one and a half to two years, we were senior pastoring a church in our 20s. I mean, that's just, that's insane. I don't know if that's insane to you. That's insane to me. What is that? That's, that's a grace. That's a favor. That's an anointing that comes alongside of an assignment where what you could never do for yourself, God does it for you. The door, the Bible says that Jesus holds the keys of David. He opens a door that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open. And when the Lord opens a door for you, no man can shut the door that the Lord has opened for you. That's why whenever, that's the difference between a person that's been called into the ministry by Jesus and a person that's been called into the ministry by another man. You know why? Because when you're called into the ministry by Jesus, no man called you in and no man can call you out. Well, I just want to quit. I'm just discouraged. What? 
Who called you into this? Is Jesus discouraging you? Are you going home in prayer saying, Lord, I'm giving it all that I got, and Jesus is looking down at you, man, you just suck. You're just not good enough. Absolutely not. But, you know, but again, people, you have to have that spiritual experience where you're called from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in charge of the administration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you step into your operation and administration, there will be grace and favor waiting for you. Praise God. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. The Lord will do for you in one year what you could not do for yourself in ten years. Thank you, God. Number three tonight, we're talking about understanding your call. I want you to to understand this. So God chooses his instruments, his vessel. Jesus appoints people, especially to the work of the ministry, specifically. So, But people could listen to that and begin to run with this idea that it doesn't matter how I live. If God's chosen me, I'm the chosen one, and it doesn't matter what I do and how I live. Well, we've already proven that God can have a will for you, and you can walk outside that will. But I want you to write this down for number three tonight. Sin will. I want you to say will. Not might. Will disqualify you from the call and appointment. Look at this. Examples. Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is qualifications for an elder. An elder in the church, that word elder is synonymous with the word pastor. When you look at Ephesians 4.11, these gifts Christ gave the church, you look at the word pastor It's the same Greek word that's used right here for elder. It's synonymous with pastor. So this is a qualification for a pastor. It says, if someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. Well, amongst the godly. tell you the bible also says that if all men speak well of you beware anyway so it says he must be faithful to his wife he must exercise self-control and live wisely he must have a good reputation he must enjoy having guests in his home he must be able to teach he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer, because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he uh, will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected, having integrity. They must not be a heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Look at this, verse 10, if you have a highlighter, highlight it in your Bible. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. And if, say if, 
they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. Let me ask you this question. What if they don't pass the test? Then they can't. But what if God's purposed them? What if God's called them to be a pastor? What if God said, that's what I created, that's what I, I, I welded you, I specifically knit you together for this function, and it's the Lord's purpose for them to do this, but when it comes down to them actually doing it and they're examined, if they don't pass the test, then what? They cannot serve. So therefore, because of sin, they just disqualified themselves from the call that the Lord had on their life. Amen. Sin will disqualify you from your call and appointment. Now, I'm going to break this down. You say, well, what if you repent? Well, we're going to get into that, okay? But what I am trying to prove to you is that you can't just do whatever you want and think that the Lord's just going to cause all this to work together, and every step that I take, I'm walking in the will of God. You know, no, that's not necessarily true. There's things that you can do that will hinder God. God's will coming to fruition in your life, sin being one of them. You know, another example, 2 Timothy 2, turn there, 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 24. Just a few more minutes. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. People could read that verse and say, John, does that go against what you taught this morning? That if I keep myself pure, that I, you know, I can actually step into a higher platform greater than what God has assigned to me. No, that's not necessarily what it's talking about. It's talking about keeping yourself pure, it says, so that you will be ready, say ready, for the master to use you for every good work. What if it comes time for opportunity? What if it comes time for favor? What if it comes time for the Lord to open the door that no man could open, but because of sin, you're not ready? Guess what? You just missed that door. You just became a, a utensil that is improper to use in that situation. Was it God's will for you to be used? Yes, it was. Did Jesus appoint you to it? Yes, he did. But because of sin, you've disqualified yourself from what the Lord willed for you. Amen. So, write this down. Not only will sin disqualify you from your call and appointment, sin can cause another to take your place. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says this. The Bible talks about the soon return of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is returning in bodily form, physically. If you were here the last several weeks, I mean, there should be no doubt or doctrinal thought in your mind that, that is confused about that. We're in a time where the only reason that the church is still left on this earth is for the harvest's sake. 
that the Lord is serious about the harvest being gathered, the last harvest before the rapture of the church in the seven-year tribulation period begins. So here's my point. There's a lot of work that must be done in a short amount of time. I really believe, scripturally, I'll show you how I believe that Jesus is coming back in the lifetime of a person that was born in 1948. Jesus said, when the fig tree buds, I'm not going to get into all of that in Matthew chapter 24, but here's my point. What if there's 300 years worth of work to be done in 20 years? What if there's 300 years worth of work to be done on the earth in regards to the harvest, and it has to be done in 10 years? God doesn't have time to wait on people. He doesn't have time for people to decide, do I want to pick up the call of God? Do I want to take it up? Do I want to take it seriously? Do I want to live a holy life? Do I want to set myself aside and become an instrument of special use? Or do I want to play games with the spirit of this world? He doesn't have time. And it's not that he doesn't love you. And it's not that he didn't purpose it for you. But ultimately, if you say no, the Lord has a job that must be done. And he will find somebody that says yes. Amen. There's several scriptural examples of this. Number one, think of Judas. Was Judas one of the original 12? Yes, he was. Was he any less an apostle than Peter was? No, he wasn't. But guess what? Judas gave himself over to deception. He gave himself over to the devil. And what happened? Sin caused him to be disqualified from, and I believe this as well. I believe if Judas would have repented, that the Lord Jesus would have forgiven him after he was resurrected. Jesus, Judas didn't repent. He, he committed suicide. He killed himself after he betrayed the Lord Jesus. I really do believe that. Judas was one of the 12, yet because of sin, he disqualified himself. And not only did he disqualify himself, but Judas was ultimately replaced by Matthias in Acts 1, 12 through 26. The, 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 the apostles filled his role and replaced him with another man named Matthias. What was Judas not called? Yes, he was called. But what happened? Sin allowed for another person to take what was, in, what was originally created for him. Give you another example. The Jews. Say the Jews. Romans 11, 11, It says, did God's people stumble beyond fall of recovery? So again, let me say this. I believe that Judas could have been restored. I'm not talking about if you missed it once, then you're just done and you missed your entire calling. We're going to get to that next. Did God's people stumble beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient. Say disobedient. So because God's people were disobedient, God made salvation available to the Gentiles. He wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. The Jews rejected God's plan for them, and so it got opened up to the Gentiles because they rejected it. If you go on to read in Romans chapter 11, it talks about how the wild olive branch, actually, I think I have it in my notes. Um, yeah, skip down to verse 17. It says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off, broken off. Say broken off. Wow, so you can be broken off? Yes, you can. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15,
I am the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Say broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from the wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessings that God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment of the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You were just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you were there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. That's New Testament. Well, I mean, how many of you know? I believe. Once saved, always saved. <laughs> Paul just literally said, They were broken off because they didn't believe, and you were there because you do believe. You mean to tell me if I stop believing in Christ that I'll I'll go to hell even though I got saved when I was 8 years old? Yes, if you stop believing, you will go to hell. Just because you got saved one time and you said a prayer and got baptized when you were 7 years old, it doesn't secure your salvation for eternity. You must continue to follow Jesus. Y'all are getting quiet in here. Say Saul, another example of this. Not only will sin disqualify you from your call and appointment, sin causes another to take your place. Let's look at the example of the first king once again. Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 26 through 29. Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. This is when Saul sinned against the uh, the command of the prophet. He didn't destroy all of his enemies. The Lord just said, destroy the people, the, their animals, their, their everything. Destroy everything. Well, King Saul said, I'll destroy some of it, but the things that I like, I'm going to keep. It's basically what happened. So the Lord spoke this against him. He said, the, the prophet said, I'll not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and he tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else. Wow. Given it to someone else. Who is better than you? Wow, Samuel, you had to go there. (laughs) And he is the glory of Israel, will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not a human that he should change his mind. So basically what happened next? King David was anointed king of Israel over Saul. The Lord took the kingdom, the Lord took the kingship, and he turned it over to David because Saul rejected the word of the Lord. So not only will sin disqualify you from your call and appointment, sin can cause another to take your place. Let's get to the final point tonight, and it's this. If you repent, you can resume the call of God. Praise you, Lord. Man, you say, but you don't understand, Pastor John, when I was 19 years old, I was a knucklehead, I was dumb, I did things that I shouldn't have done. Does that mean that I just forfeit the call of God for the rest of my life? No. If you repent, you can resume the call of God. I will say this, though. Honestly, some opportunities are time-sensitive. There is an open door, and there are times that although you could step into the, the general will of God for your life, 
There are certain opportunities that are time sensitive. You can't reject it and walk away from it and then 30 years later come back to it when you're done playing with sin and you want to give your life back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Will God forgive you? Yes, he'll forgive you. Will he restore you back to your original purpose? Yes, absolutely he will, but you could miss that opportunity still. Praise the Lord. You say, well, maybe at one point in my life I was a young person and the Lord was going to appoint me as a pastor over this little church and I had this opportunity, but I made some stupid decisions and I blew it. Now 15 years later I've decided to follow the Lord. What is God going to do? Go and, and kick out the pastor that's currently serving him and loves him and is being used by him and let you go? No. You can be restored back to God's general will for your life and purpose, but you missed the opportunity. That's why sin, you don't want to play games with sin. Um, so again, the point is this, if you repent, you can resume the call of God. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, it says for the gifts for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Read it to you in the amplified for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. So again, that means that when God created you and purposed you, he's never going to change his mind about that purpose for you. You could die and go to hell for all eternity, and he'll never change his mind about that purpose for you. But you can reject that purpose. So the thing is, you say, well, I started walking in sin. I started walking in all of these things and totally was led astray from the Lord. Well, you can repent and get right with the Lord and step back into that call. Pick, pick right off where, where, where you left off. Praise God. That's good news for some people. This is straight from the Finnis Dake reference Bible. This is a quote from Finnis Dake. It says, this not only applies, this scripture, God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. It says, this not only applies to the gifts and calling of Israel, but to any individual whom God calls or gives a gift. God does not change his mind as if he made a mistake. People may fail him so that he cannot fulfill such callings with them. Listen, again, people do things that make it where God can't fulfill his promise. Not that he doesn't want to. But when, if ever, they come back to repentance, God holds them to the original obligation to obey him. Hallelujah. So what God purpose and designs for you will never change. But again, remember that you can hinder yourself from walking in that call due to sin. Always remember this, too. I'm going to end with this point here. Although the gifts and calling of God won't be revoked, there will always be consequence for sin. I know a lot of people, especially young people, have the thought, I believe Jesus is the Lord, and I believe that I'm called and purposed by God. But I've had a kid literally tell me, I just, I'm, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe everything that you're saying, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not ready to stop partying right now. He said, there's still some things that I want to do. And when I get older and I get married and I settle down, you know, I'll get right with God. Well, that's so foolish. Number one, if you're walking outside of assignment, there's no guarantee for you. I said that there's something dangerous about a person that's on assignment and knows it. When you're outside of assignment, you're outside of God's grace. 
That means you're susceptible for things to happen to you that was never God's will for them to happen to you. In fact, when you're on assignment, it says the Bible says that he'll order his angels to surround you. In Psalms 91, you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Hallelujah. I believe that. I believe that. So number one, that's foolish because you say, well, where's your guarantee that you have till you're 30? You're putting your life in the devil's hands and you're going to bet or you're going to gamble that you're going to make it to be old and get married. And man, there's no guarantee because I'll also get to this point in just a moment that if you die in sin, you're lost for eternity. And then number two, let's say, okay, well, the gift and calling of God is irrevocable and it can't be changed, so that means I can go live the life I want to live and eventually I'll come back to it. Is that theoretically correct? Well, if you genuinely repented, then God would receive you back. Yes, that's correct. But there is a consequence for sin. What do I mean by that? Well, look what the Bible says in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Say death. What's the wage? That means when you sin, what's due now is death. You put sin on the table, on the counter. You slid sin across the counter, and what slid back to you was death. You sow sin, you reap death. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Bible says in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always, say always, harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Well, I want to live it up. I want to drink it up. I want to sleep it up. I want to party it up. I want to do what I want to do. I'm just going to live my life, and and I'm going to be the Lord of my own life. The Bible says if you sow that seed, you will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. People think that God's going around killing people. He's mad at people. No. God is wills that nobody perishes. Jesus said in John 10.10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have life more abundantly. God's will is not for you to die prematurely of cancer, for your children to be taken in a tragic accident, for, for you to struggle in poverty. That's not God's will. But why do people experience those things? Because if you sow sin, that seed produces it apart from God's will. That's the government of God. Amen. So it says, let us not get tired of doing good, for at just the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Although God won't change his mind about your call, sinning will produce consequences. I ask myself this question. I wonder how many powerful men and women of business are sitting in a penitentiary right now. How many of those people that are sitting in prison right now, were they called by God, purposed by God? They were purposed by God. Some of them might have been purposed. Man, he might have had platforms that would reach a nation for some of those people. But guess what? You kill someone, will God forgive you? Yeah, he'll forgive you. Could you be forgiven and go to heaven? Yeah, you could be forgiven if you repented and go to heaven, but you're going to sit in prison. Why? Because there is a penalty for sin. 
There is a there is a harvest for sin. So to say, well, I'll just come back to it when I'm done. That's so stupid. You're going to reap the consequence of sin. How many men and women are of God are locked into a marriage that was unbiblical and in disobedience to God? I see it all the time that, again, I told you there's a difference between God's will and your will. There's people, the Bible's very clear that you don't yoke yourself together with an unbeliever. If you're a believer, you cannot marry somebody that's not a believer. Biblically. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Well, I just love them. Man, no, you're not in love. You're in lust. You're in flesh. And I will something, and you know what? It must be God's will because if it wasn't God's will, he'd stop me from doing it. No, that's not true. You willed something, and now what? You made a covenant before God with this person where you just became one with that person, and now you're bound to that marriage. Now, can God bless that marriage? Can that person get saved? Absolutely. The Bible says that if you're in that situation, you should stay with that person so that they may be saved. But you say, well, you know, I, I got over the honeymoon of it, I got over the lust of it, I got over the flesh of it, and I got to the other side, and I started thinking right and getting right back with the Lord, and I realized I made a very bad mistake. Can God forgive you? Yes, he'll forgive you. Will he forgive you? Yes, he'll forgive you, but there's still a consequence for disobedience. Amen. And then finally, I'm just going to read this to you. If none of that will change your mind... If God won't change his mind about my call, even if I sin, what's to stop me from sinning? Ultimately, let this be your biggest motivation. If you die in sin, you will go to hell. Why do I say that? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge, say indulge. What does indulge mean? It's the same thing that it means in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It says, don't you understand that those that live these type of lives. Guys, I'm not talking about a person that is following the Lord and made a mistake. I'm talking about engaging in a lifestyle of sexual sin, of worshiping idols, which the Bible actually says that those that are greedy are idolaters worshiping the things of this world. If you're greedy, that's idol worship, the Bible says. Committing adultery, male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, thieves. You know, I know everybody says, well, you know, the the homosexuals, yeah, they're going to go to hell. Well, what about also thieves, also greedy people? Say greedy people. Drunkards, abusive. See, you know, drunkards, that's interesting because we do live in a Christian culture right now that just, I mean, you can go find a church where pastors will go drink with you after the service. Well, let's go to Chili's. Let's have a drink. Let's sit at the bar. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says it very clearly. Well, I don't drink. I don't get drunk. I like to just drink in moderation. Well, I'm, yeah, that's, like the, that's almost like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, how many of you know, having an affair on my wife is, is, is sin, but I didn't have an affair with a woman. I just kissed her. There's nothing wrong. You know, the Bible doesn't say kissing. It says the other stuff. What do you think leads to the other stuff? Do you get drunk by not drinking or do you get drunk by drinking? Do you fall into the Grand Canyon while standing in, in Kansas or do you fall into the Grand Canyon by getting as close as you can to the edge without actually crossing over? Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
abusive people or people that cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, what if I just slipped? What if I made a mistake? God will forgive you. The Bible says that if you sin, we have an advocate that sits in heaven. His name's Jesus Christ. If you sin, he'll forgive you. But it's not talking about I made a mistake and you have a genuine heart of repentance to the Lord. It's talking about a lifestyle in these things. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'll stand to your feet. I want to dismiss you tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for all of these people that came. I decree and declare they are blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Your word has blessed them, that it goes forth into fertile soil and produces 30, 60, and 100-fold what was sown in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your call. I thank you for your administration. I thank you, Lord, that in this hour, many that don't know their call, that they would begin to receive their call from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they receive that calling, that the, the gift, the grace, the favor of the Holy Ghost comes alongside that mandate. Thank you for open doors of opportunity. Thank you for favor. In the mighty name of Jesus, I decree these people are blessed. If you receive it, I want you to say amen. amen. Hallelujah. God, give the Lord a shout of praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all just had about an hour of word bath. Praise God. <laughs> well, I love you guys so much. We have food for you in the back. Again, we have service this Wednesday. Love to invite you out. Other than that, God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.